here. We're going to continue with a scripture reading from Micah chapter 6, the Old Testament, the Minor Prophets. So after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, keep going, Amos, Jonah, Micah, okay? So Micah chapter 6, I'm going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 8. If you don't mind, if you are able, would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord is an, has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that by your power and wisdom, it has not only been transmitted to us, but it has been preserved for us over the centuries through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has been given to us to enable us to understand the word and to have wisdom to apply it to our lives as we live in relationship with you and with people around us. Now, Lord, we pray that you would teach us through your word. Help us, Lord, to be vessels that are cleansed by your spirit and ready to receive your eternal word, that we may be touched and transformed by it. May Jesus Christ be glorified in his church as we look to you through your word. We ask in his holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Walking with Christ in the new year. The first of a new year is a time of reflection, and it's also a time of projection. We look back upon the past, think about how things have been, and we look forward to the future and how we would like things to be. And many people make resolutions, New Year's resolutions, regarding things that they intend to start.
start doing in the new year that they haven't been doing up to this point or haven't been doing for a while, or they're making a decision to stop doing something that they have been doing and, and they don't think it's healthy for them or they don't think it helps them spiritually or whatever the situation is, it's uh, not something that they want to continue to do. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are blessed that we have this word that God has given to us because he gives us in here the instructions for the new year. He gives us the instructions for today, the instructions for this moment, that we might walk in right relationship with God, our Lord and Savior, and with those who are around us in our families, in our church family, in our neighborhoods, in our community, and even in the world. God gives us through his word the direction that we need going forward. Pastor Josh has been beautifully walking us through the book of Exodus. And uh, it's been exciting to hear uh, the messages that he's shared from week to week as we see God graciously calling his people, Israel, out of their Egyptian bondage and uh, bringing them safely uh, on their way. They're not there yet, but on their way to the land that he had promised to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we've been going through that process, Pastor Josh has brought us through the point where the people of Israel were gathered before the Lord at Mount Sinai and where God appeared to them in smoke and thunder and rumblings of the earth and fire on the top of the mountain. And he spoke to them the Ten Commandments that were written on the stone tablets that Moses then brought down from the mountain and, and shared with the people, or they were put in the Ark of the Covenant as a memorial of this occasion, this occasion when God spoke to them. I know there's more to the story than that about the stone tablets being broken the first time and Moses having to go back and get a second set and all of that. I'm kind of going fast through this to move us along. But we've, we've seen this process of God calling his people together to be his people and he will be their God. And so he gives to them the law, which is the guide for how they are to live in relationship with him and also how they're to live in relationship with one another. As you read through the law, a lot more of it has to do with how we are supposed to treat people around us than it has to do with how we are to relate to God. And so this was all given graciously by God to the people of Israel. And in this chapter in Micah, and if you read earlier in the book of Micah and then up to this chapter, you discover that the people of Israel and Judah had completely missed the purpose of that law that God had graciously given to them. They thought that as long as they came to originally the, ta the tabernacle, but then later the temple, and they presented their sacrifices to the Lord in accordance with the requirements of that Old Testament law, that everything was good between them and the Lord. If they just maintained the sacrificial system, God would be pleased with them. God's anger would be appeased, so to speak, and they could go on with their lives and everything would be okay. But they were totally missing the fact that God intended for them to be a transformed people. 
that he intended for them to come into his presence, to worship him, to present their sacrifices. But that was just a part of the process. God was going to meet with them and God was going to speak to them and God was going to touch them in their hearts and in their minds. And he was going to transform them through his word. And they didn't understand this uh, whole idea of having a right relationship with God and God transforming them from the inside out. And so uh, God is ready to call them up short on the way that they have been living here in Micah chapter 6. And in fact, it, it kind of reads like a summons to a trial, that God has sent out a summons to the people of Israel to, uh, and Judah to appear before him in a court. And uh, then there's this arraignment. He's going to confront them with their uh, lawlessness, with their sins, and he's going to bring a judgment upon them because of their rebellion against his laws. We discover that the uh, people have been neglecting the moral and ethical implications of the law in how they related to God and to the people around them. And so they were doing things like um, as we read later in this chapter 6 and verses 8 through 10, they were doing things like conducting business with um, different sets of weights. In other words, they had their scales that they would use to measure out the grain that they were selling to someone or some other commodity that they were selling to someone. And then they would have a set of weights that weren't quite up to the standard. <laughs> and so they were kind of uh, weighted in favor of the seller rather than in favor of the buyer. And so it's kind of like the buyer going and putting his thumb on the other side of the scale and trying to get things his way. Well, this is, this is what they were doing. They, they would go, they would present their sacrifices to the Lord, worship the Lord, and then they would go about their business during the succeeding days of the week, and they would uh, cheat one another in their uh, business transactions, or they would uh, do all kinds of things that were not in accordance with the spirit of the law that God had given to them and the way that they were treating their uh, family members, their, their neighbors, and the people around them in the community. And God is uh, confronting them with their hypocrisy. He's confronting them with this error in their thinking that if they just present the right sacrifices, God will be pleased with them. It doesn't matter how they live their lives from day to day. He's calling them to walk with him in a right relationship. In the middle of the 7th century BC, God sent his prophet Micah to confront the people of Israel and to reveal to them what was wrong in their relationship with him and why it was that this great new Assyrian empire was sort of breathing down their necks and about to come in and sweep through the land of Israel and uh, take it captive. And then eventually some hundred and uh, whatever years later, then the Babylonians would come and sweep through Judah and take them captive. And all of this was building up because the people had been wandering away from God, wandering away from his principles, not walking with God in their day-to-day -day lives. And so 
this courtroom drama unfolds where God calls his people to appear before him. And in verses 1 through 3, look again at the summons. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And God, God is just at the point of, of calling them up short and saying, I, I, I'd like an answer here. I'd like to understand what I have done to you to cause you to treat me in the way that you are treating me, to neglect my word, to neglect my commandments in your lives and in your relationships in the way that you are doing. And so then in verses four through five, the Lord reminds the people of his acts of faithfulness in fulfilling his side of the covenant that he established with them through Abraham and Moses. And so let's read again verses four through five. For God says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God says, look back upon your history and remember how I... I brought you out of Egypt with those uh, 10 great plagues that I inflicted upon the Egyptians and I safely brought you out to be my people and I led you on the way to Canaan. And uh, of course we have the uh, the rebellion of the people against God, but uh, when it came time to enter over into the land of Canaan, but even before that, along the way, they have found ways to get themselves in trouble, including allowing uh, Balaam to come along and to convince them that they should go and offer sacrifices to the gods of uh, of Balak and Moab, the Moabites. And so they did this right in the presence of the Lord, right in the face of the Lord, and God confronted them with that. And now the, the expression, what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, then speaks of God continuing to lead them until the point where they were across from the promised land, across the Jordan River from the promised land at Gilgal, and God prepared them there to go on across and to enter the land that he had promised to give to them. And God is just uh, you know, asking them, confronting them, them with these questions. What is it that I have done to you? Think about everything that I have accomplished for you, all the ways that I have protected you, all of the ways that I have delivered you uh, from danger through the years along the way. And now why is it that you are treating me in this way? And then <clears throat> in the next verses, six through seven, they represent a sort of defense an arrogant response. It might be arrogant. It might not be arrogant. I don't know. It's hard to tell, but it, it represents a sort of defensive response on the part of God's people. Look at verses six through seven. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? In other words, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. I thought I was presenting the sacrifices that were required 
under the law. What do I need to do? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? See how the stakes are getting higher and higher as they go through this. It's getting more and more lavish. It's getting more and more exaggerated. And then to the point at the end of uh, second half of verse 7, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so the, what, what would please God? What would make God happy with me? What would make, it okay, uh, make me okay with God? Is this the extent to which I should go? And the prophet answers them in uh, verse 8, the Lord has showed you, O man, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God isn't interested in all these sacrifices. He's not interested in your thousands of rams or your 10,000 rivers of oil. He's not interested in those things. They don't do anything for him. They don't add anything to him. All those sacrifices were meant to be was an expression of your heart and devotion to love God and then to live in a right relationship with him. And so what is it that God has required of you? The Lord has required that you love justice or that you act justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. Let's take a look at each of those. What is it to act justly? To act justly is to act in righteousness. In other words, to do right things. That's that's acting justly. It's being fair in your business transactions. It's being fair in your personal relationships with people around you. It's being a person of integrity. It's to be truthful and fair and honest in transactions as well as in relationships. God confronts the people of Israel and Judah because of their use of dishonest scales and a bag of false weights, as I mentioned earlier in verses 10 through 11. They were not acting justly. And God says, that's, that's what I require of you. Start there. That's a good place for you to begin. Just act in a just or righteous manner. And then secondly, he says to them, I want you to love mercy. What is mercy? Well, when God shows us mercy, he does so by forgiving our sins Even though we don't deserve to be forgiven, he forgives our sins. And not only does he forgive our sins, but he withholds the judgment or the punishment that we rightly deserve for those sins. That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes have consequences of our sins that follow us, but God forgives those sins and he doesn't bring a judgment upon us because of those sins. He has mercifully dealt with us and forgiven those sins. And similarly, when you and I extend mercy to others, we forgive them for the hurts that they may have done against us, and we withhold any payback <laughs> or retaliation that we might be, you know, brewing up in our hearts and minds against them because they've hurt us and we're going to figure out a way to hurt them back. And I say, no, we let that go. That's no longer something that we carry with us. We, um, 
to love mercy, as the scripture here says, means that we willingly extend mercy to others in the joy of Christ without gritting our teeth because we would rather be sticking it to this person rather than forgiving them for what they've done to us. In Christ's love, in Christ's joy of forgiveness, we extend that mercy to those around us. We love to extend the mercy of Christ just as Christ has been merciful to us. And thirdly, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, here's an important question for the new year. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? It means to walk humbly with God, okay? There's nothing, there's nothing real fancy about it. There's nothing real magical or mysterious about it. It means to walk humbly with God. It means to accept the fact that we are the creatures and God is the creator. It means to accept the fact that we are sinners by nature and that God is utterly holy in nature and in all of his ways. It means to acknowledge that we need God not only to teach us what is right, but to help us do what is right, because we realize that we could never live up to the holiness of God by our own efforts to walk humbly with our God. The point of the Old Testament sacrificial system was never to pay God back for the sins uh, for sins or to somehow purchase God's forgiveness. That wasn't the point of the Old Testament sacrificial system. The purpose of it was to remind people of the holiness of God, that he was worthy of receiving their sacrifices. He was worthy of receiving their worship. It was to remind them of the holiness of God. It was to remind them of their own sinfulness, that in order to approach God, there needed to be some kind of blood. There needed to be some kind of atonement made in order that they could approach God because they were sinful and God is holy and, and we cannot come into his presence with that sin upon us. And they were. it was also meant to point them to the fact that that God was with them and that he would transform them in their hearts and in their minds and in their attitudes and in their behavior in order that they could walk with him and they could, uh, they could serve him according to the law that he had given to them. So how do we go about walking humbly with God in this new year? The answer to that question begins back here where we are in the Old Testament. God gave the law to the people of Israel through Moses in order to teach not only Israel, but to teach the world what holiness and righteousness look like in our relationship with him and in our relationships with those around us. But none of us is able by our own efforts to perfectly live up to that law. We can't do it. We can set that as the resolution for the new year, say, I'm going to follow God's law this year at every point, but we're not going to be able to do it by our own effort, by our own strength. We can't fulfill that law on our own. And God knew that. And he promised through some of the Old Testament prophets that he would provide the help that we need to live holy lives. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, I think we'll have that up on the screen for you. Uh, God is speaking to his people and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. 
Doesn't that sound good? I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And here's, here's the, the capper. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is promising, I know that you can't follow the law by your own effort, by your own strength. And so I'm going to do something radical in your life. I'm going to completely transform you from the inside out. I'm going to take out of you that heart of stone that just can't quite get it in terms of walking with me and living in right relationship with people around you. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh in its place, one that will understand, one that will seek God, one that will desire to do the will of God, and one that will desire to be a blessing to the people around you. And I'm going to not only give you that heart of flesh, I'm going to also put my spirit to dwell within you in order to move you from the inside out to follow my law, from the inside out to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's by the Holy Spirit then that we are enabled to walk humbly with our God. The secret to walking humbly with our God, as well as acting justly and loving mercy, is to then keep in step with the Holy Spirit, whom God has sent into the hearts of those who are his children through faith in Jesus Christ. And the, the scripture says that when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we also receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes his residence within us, and he is with us then to enable us to live according to God's law, in order to live according to God's ways as he has revealed them to us through his word. And so the goal then is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit whom God has sent into our hearts. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I think we'll have that up there. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Wow, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Under the, under the Old Testament law, we could never live up to it because of our sinful nature. But God says, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to abide within you. And if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then he says in verses 22 through 26 of Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. <laughs> we don't need a law against any of these things because these are the good things. These are the things that God wants us to have within us. These are the things that God wants to flow from us and to touch and impact the lives of those around us. Against such things, there is no law. So if we want to walk in God's way, then keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit bring his fruit, the fruit of his presence, to bear in our lives in order that that will be expressed through us in our relationships. To those who belong to Christ Jesus, or excuse me, 
Paul continues, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so this is the means that God has provided for us in order that we can live according to his law. He has given his Holy Spirit. He's taken out our heart of stone, replaced it with a heart of flesh, this radical spiritual transformation or, or uh, uh, what do they call it when they transplant that God has done for us, where he's taken out that old heart and given us a new heart that is in tune with him and his Holy Spirit. And now he's given his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to enable us to live according to his law. Well, how do we do this on a practical basis? How do we do this step by step? We've talked about um, the, the ins and outs of it from a scriptural point of view in terms of what God's Word says, but how do we put this into practice in our lives? Well, the first thing I would suggest to you is that we need to spend time each day reading God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand that Word and also to help us put it into practice in our lives. And it's not, it's, it's one thing to, to read the Bible and to know what it says and to know the stories that are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and the Gospels and the book of Acts. It's one thing to read it as a book. It's another thing to read it as the living and active Word of God that transforms us from the inside out, renews our minds, and teaches us a new way of thinking and a new way of living, and then letting that flow through us in our relationships, not only with God, but with those around us as well. So spend each time, spend time each day reading God's Word, asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand it and put it into practice in your life. Read the guidelines for holy living that God has given to us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7. This list, if you write these down, these are excellent resources for discovering the guidelines for holy living that God has given to us in his word. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 26, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 over into chapter 5 to verse 21, in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 18, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, on over into chapter 4, verse 6. In 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3, on over into chapter 2, verse 3. There are others that, that we could mention as well. As you read through God's Word systematically, you'll discover them. You'll see them as you're going through. But this is just a, le- a list to get you started where you can focus on these passages and see what it is or how it is that God has called us to live as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we will spend time reading God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand it, He will help us to put these guidelines for holy living into practice in our lives. And then secondly, 
Begin each day with a prayer that God will guide you in holy living through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Let that be a focus of your life. Lord, I want to live a holy life for you today. I want to be a representative of Christ Jesus through holy living to those who are around me, here in my own home, these who are in my community, where I work, uh, wherever I go today in the marketplace, Lord, help me to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ through holy living and let your word dwell within me richly. I like uh, David's prayer in Psalm 51 where he prays, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And, uh, you know, cast me not away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, but let me live in your spirit. Let me live in your holiness that I might be the person that you have called me to be, that you have redeemed me to be, and that will be a blessing to those around me. So spend each time, spend time, sorry, each day reading God's word, asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand that word and put it into practice in your life. Secondly, begin each day with a prayer that God will guide you in holy living through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, listen to the Holy Spirit. If you pray at the beginning of the day for the Holy Spirit to guide you in the day, well, then guess what? You need to listen for the Holy Spirit as you're going through your day because he's going to be there with you and he's going to help you. And when something comes up in conversation and you're getting a little riled and you're about ready to, you know, shoot someone a real zinger, you know, just stop and say, Holy Spirit, help me. And you know what? The Holy Spirit will help you in that moment to hold your tongue and to say something constructive instead of that destructive thing that was on your mind, that was rising up within you. The Holy Spirit is our resource in Christ for holy living, and he will help us if we will learn to walk with him and to depend upon him in the moment, in the moment. And that's what's beautiful about it. The Holy Spirit is with us in the moment. We don't have to go somewhere, you know, and get on our knees and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come to us. He is with us in the moment. And so when those times come, we can call upon him in our spirits and he will be faithful to help us. We used to, what was it? We used to have stop, look and listen at the, at the railroad crossings. Was that it? Well, that's kind of what we need to do with the Holy Spirit. We need to stop, wait and listen. And the Holy Spirit will help us in those times when, you know, we're on the edge of doing something we know we shouldn't be doing or we're not quite sure what we should do in this situation. The Holy Spirit has been given us, given to help us and to guide us in those situations. And He will enable us to answer as Jesus would in that situation. If we will try to do this in the moment, of any kind of temptation, not just when I'm tempted to say something, you know, unkind to somebody or unkind about somebody. If we will do this in the face of any kind of temptation, we will discover that the Holy Spirit is indeed present and ready to help us make holy choices and to live for Christ instead of living for our selfish desires. That's what Paul talked about, isn't it? Galatians chapter 5, no longer... Uh, uh, no longer living for the desires of the selfish flesh, but instead living to fulfill the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you to memorize and remember Paul's exhortation in Galatians chapter 5, live by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Because that's where it begins if we're going to walk in the Spirit, if we're going to walk humbly before our God in this new year and in the days ahead. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's our formula for the new year, walking in, in the righteousness that God has called us to in Christ Jesus. Matt's going to come and, and lead us in a closing song. But as we, as he does, uh, let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, uh, that it not only is information, but it is transformative in its nature. That as we read it by your spirit, you are changing us. And Paul talks about being changed from glory to glory in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we want to be more glorious for your glory. We want to be better witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be more effective in helping our family members and, and our friends and our workmates and people around us in the community come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord in their lives. And so we commit ourselves to you for this new year, and we pray that you would help us to walk humbly before you. And in walking humbly before you, Lord, may we learn to keep in step with your Holy Spirit to rely on him to guide our thoughts, to guide our words, to guide our actions in order that everything will be pleasing to you and everything will be a blessing to those around us. Continue to work to transform us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.